This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. One-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! And everything from the state of hockey. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Number 62 in the Healthy Scratch interview. I'm Nick Max. I'm joined by Noah Grant of my co-host. And Noah, we're, we have a very uh, a big-time guest here this week in Josh Fenton, NCHC commissioner. I, I think the question bears uh, for all of us because I think he's an admirable guy, but what do you enjoy most about uh, chatting with Josh Fenton? Well, I think uh, to your point that you just made there, talking about how he's a uh, big, big name or big time guest, if you will, but he seems like the same kind of guy that you could, you know, go over to his house and have a barbecue on a Friday night and, you know, talk shop, you know, and he's a guy that uh, I think the thing that I really enjoy most is he's has no shortage of statistics and ability to remember exactly what happened on a given moment or at a given time. So it's really fun to listen to the intelligent way in which he answers the question. And I suppose that's what you get from the NCHC commissioner. Without further ado, let's bring in a guest. And welcome to this week's edition of the Healthy Scratch interview segment for episode number 62. And joining us now in the offseason is NCHC Commissioner Josh Fenton. Josh, thanks again for joining the show. Nick and Noah, thanks for having me. Good to see you guys again. Good to see you again, Josh. Uh, I, just to kind of catch everybody up on, you know, maybe some personal stuff. I hear the kids are out of school, and uh, I hear you're starting your summer vacation here too down there in the good old state of Colorado. <laughs> I, I don't know if we call it summer vacation in, in the working world, but yes, you're correct on the first one. My kids are out of school. They got out last Friday. Um, they they go back in the middle of August, which is pretty early, especially in in your neck of the woods there, Minnesota, where I grew up. It was obviously after Labor Day, so. Um, they're getting out at an appropriate time and, uh, they've already had, uh, three straight days of wiffle ball games in our backyard. So I think they're having fun so far. So who's the best wiffle ball player, Josh, do you ever partake in the games? Do you still got your swing on or what's the deal? Uh, occasionally I'll play. Um, I, I haven't played the last three days. I've been playing in the middle of the day. They've had the neighbors over and, and whatnot. I, I do hear them occasionally yelling at each other, um, which is, I suppose, pretty typical, but, um, they're all pretty darn good, and uh, you can hear balls like banging off the side of the house in our poor neighbor's house that kind of sits in what I would call probably more left field, gets a lot of balls off their side of their house. So <laughs> it's, it's all in good fun. To, to bounce off a of next question, I really quickly here, Josh, uh, is there actually a time for you as NCHC commissioner, especially after uh, the different look that we had with this season? Is there actually a time for you where you, you maybe take a couple days or a week and actually kind of go on a vacation or kind of a mental break, if you will? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's important in, in really any industry. Um, our, our family was able to get away. Uh, we actually went to Florida for five-ish days um, at the end of April. So a few weeks uh, beyond uh, the Frozen Four, uh, just right, actually right after we finished our annual meetings, which uh, were over Zoom this year, um, we went down to, to Naples. And, and so we saw some extended family that we hadn't seen in almost two years when we went down there. So that was great. And then during the summertime, there'll, there'll be some times where uh, we'll get away. We're, we're, we'll come up to Minnesota. My parents have a, a cabin on uh, Big Sand Lake just outside of Park Rapids. Um, so we'll spend uh, a week or so up there and we have family that comes to Colorado. So certainly the summertime is, is the time to, uh, to take some time and, and spend it with family and friends. 
I suppose it kind of feels good too, Josh. And I suppose let's go ahead and uh, get to the meat and the potatoes, if you say. Uh, we had you on a, right around this time last year, if anything, more middle of the summer. But, you know, I, there was this giant question mark of what we are about to see in the next, uh, well, six to seven, maybe eight months. And uh, lo and behold, there was a game plan that uh, you and the, uh, uh, the conference laid out. It was executed, I think, pretty darn well. And here we are sitting here now, end of May of 2021. Uh, First of all, congratulations on completing the season and, and getting uh, another NCHC team to the championship game, although we didn't quite take home the hardware. Uh, how does it feel looking back at the last eight months or so from the start of the drawing board to the completion about how the season was for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what expectations we we frankly had a year ago when I, when I met with you guys or even you know, as we progressed through the summer and into the early fall, I didn't, I don't know if we really understood what expectations we had. I think the goal was pretty simple and that was just to play hockey games and give the players and, and uh, teams a chance to compete because that's what they worked their whole lives to do. And obviously the year prior was, was taken away abruptly at a very important time. And so we were focused on trying to return obviously in a, in a safe way. And so we spent a tremendous amount of time in the summer um, uh, putting together a committee called the health and safety competitions committee that was charged with kind of looking at how do we bring back hockey um, in, in a safe way, knowing that the environment was ever changing. And, and certainly it did ever change throughout the summer and the fall and the winter. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know what the expectations were coming in other than, Hey, we wanted to find a way to play hockey games. And I, I think as you look back on it very simply, uh, we were able to do that fairly well. And we, we played 94 of 96 scheduled games. Everybody had 24 scheduled games. And uh, to be honest with you guys, it went right up until the last week. And when we only had four games remaining in the regular season, we were on track to play all 96. And unfortunately I got a call about a COVID, a couple COVID issues actually of Denver and Colorado college that were scheduled to play twice that last week. And so those games kind of went by the wayside, but, you know, to play 94 of 96 games under the circumstances, I, I think was was pretty remarkable. But, um, you know, Nick, I think it speaks to your, your point about the plan that was put in place and the thought process behind the plan by our membership that was really executed on during during the season. And that started with, um, you know, this unique way of looking at the conference in terms of divisions. We knew that the geography in the conference uh, probably was going to make it challenging just to travel to and fro and, and have um, regular Friday, Saturday series as we, as we would normally have. And that if we did that, we'd probably start and then we'd probably have to stop. Um, and we wouldn't have a good understanding of how much disruption would happen along the way. And so we tried to regionalize as best we could the conference into these two divisions um, with West and East. And it was a simple line drawn the middle based upon geography. Um, and, and then the, the second thing was, okay, once we had the divisions, how did we want to craft the schedule to truly regionalize everything? And, you know, as everybody's well aware, the NCHC pod came out of that and we uh, scheduled 40 games. We completed 30, well, we went in play, uh, scheduling 38. Uh, CC joined us a little bit late because of a COVID reason. Um, we ended up playing all 38 games, didn't have any uh, active COVID infections amongst any of the participating teams, official staff um, that were tier one personnel uh, overseeing the pod. And we were in Omaha for 20, 23 days. Um, some people were there um, and uh, we were able to start the season successfully. And that's ultimately what we wanted that part of the schedule to, to really do for us. And, and I think it did it, did it well. It got us off on a, a good foot and and you know teams were eight to, to ten games into their season and then obviously we went into the second half and and we knew the second half was going to be kind of more regular travel um, but if if I take it back to the planning portion of it we created the second half with three open weekends and that was intentional knowing that we likely were going to have COVID disruption and needing to postpone and therefore then make up games um, and that's exactly what we had. We had a COVID disruption the very first weekend um, with, with Nebraska Omaha that forced some postponements of games that they were scheduled with North Dakota, not only that weekend, but the following weekend. And then we had subsequent ones that, that followed after that. But we were able to play every, every game, like I said, leading up to that last weekend, um, which again was a, was a makeup weekend. And unfortunately, we just weren't able to, to complete all 96. But I think as you compare us to, a lot of other sports out there, um, the amount of success we had and just 
having consistent competition happening and, and everybody playing for the most part, the same number of games um, was a great success point for the conference. Yeah. Comparison wise, when you look at, like you mentioned at some of these other leagues, uh, maybe mine is probably the big 10, the WCHA, a lot of the leagues, especially out East really did not have the same success. So again, Josh, congratulations on that. I I wanted to ask a a question about kind of the various stages as you went through the season from the pre-planning stage to obviously the pod, then you get through the pod, like you mentioned with your relative success, and then you're able to kind of transition into a different looking part two of the NCHC season, if you will. Um, this league in the eight years that it's been around has been, I don't want to say pretty run of the mill in terms of execution for the first seven years, but it hasn't been tested the way it was for the, for this past year and this past season. How, how much credit can you give and kind of give us an internal look at the flexibility and the adaptation of not only yourself, but your committee, the people around you, the NCHC, and everyone who worked so hard to make all those various steps and stages from the pre-planning all the way through to the NCHC Frozen Faceoff Championship game, a possibility and maybe things that went on behind the scenes that uh, were even more challenging than on the surface. Yeah, I mean, there there were a lot of things, um, probably way too many to mention in this discussion. But um, I think everybody across collegiate sports or frankly sports in general faced challenges that they had never seen before. And so everybody had to be unique and creative in their schedules and flexibility and adaptation and, and whatnot. But certainly we had a tremendous amount of, of flexibility um, that, that everybody across the conference um, in particular, our teams kind of gave throughout the course of the year, you know, from our student athletes and our coaches and our hockey staff members that, that are part of our teams. Uh, they're the true winners and true heroes in this. Um, they're the ones that, that were consistently tested on a weekly basis. Yes, we tested in the pod. Yes, the staff had to test, uh, meaning conference staff had to test in the pod and, and also in the postseason when we got to Grand Forks. But you got to think about the student athletes really from going all the way back to the fall in some cases, summer were being consistently tested and and they had to live to a standard um, that was probably pretty unfair um, knowing a normal collegiate experience. Um, But the commitment that we saw from our student athletes, I think showed up during the course of the season. Yes, we had COVID issues, but that, that isn't certain. That isn't meant to, to blame anybody in any, in any way. But I think our COVID issues were, were fairly minimized. I think in total, we had um, 10 games that were postponed and two games that were canceled. So out of 96 total, obviously we only lost two of them, but only 10 others had to be postponed. That, that meant that, um, you know, I guess my simple math is 96 minus 12 is 84. So 84 games went off as scheduled. Um, and, and that's, that's pretty impressive. And I think that is a credit to our, our student athletes and our teams, coaches for just the constant, um, stress and, and duress that they were under during the entire season, um, and, and the standard that they had to live up to. Um, the other group that, that I'd like to mention is our officiating staff. You know, our officiating staff was also under a microscope um, because certainly we didn't want to have an issue with an official or an officiating staff that then led to a postponement or a cancellation of a game. Um, so a, a, a unique thing or a nuanced thing that you may find interesting is we, we tested our officials on, on a normal weekend when they were going to work two games, we tested them three times during the week. So one test was a mail-in test that they had themselves that they had to collect uh, on their own and then send the test in to read a result that that happened typically on a Tuesday. Um, so we had a result back prior to them traveling. And we did have a couple occasions where um, we had officials test positive on that initial mail-in test for the week. And obviously we replaced them and they went into isolation and, and um, you know, just stayed just amongst themselves before, you know, returning to certainly on the ice. Um, and then the second, the second and the third test happened when they got to the market. So once they got cleared through the mail-in test, they traveled to the market, then they got tested on game day number one, and then they were tested again on game day number two. Uh, we had no positive tests that came from any of those game day uh, tests that we ran. But um, I, I think our, our student athletes, our coaches, our staff members are, are the real heroes and certainly our officiating staff had to live under different circumstances and have tremendous flexibility during the year as well. 
Josh, it's, you know, amazing when you, you know, just thinking about your answer, just how many people, you know, obviously the, a big focus on the student athletes, but, you know, the officials and, you know, the different staff members that had to go through, you know, some different times. And I think it's a good I'll, transition. I'll you, I don't mean to interrupt, Nick. I'll tell you the real heroes of the whole thing are our athletic trainers. You know, our athletic trainers are busy, very busy during the season in a normal season with just general injury and illness but they were the ones that were managing um, typically, you know, kind of this constant testing plus also having to deal with kind of the normal injuries, like the normal injuries didn't go away just because we were in COVID. And so uh, they really are the true heroes and deserve a ton of credit on the campuses and not only ice hockey trainers, all athletic trainers across all sports and collegiate athletics um, really deserve a, a pat on the back and, and a lot of recognition for, for getting us through safely. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think that does beg the question, Josh, as we transition into looking towards next year, um, does this uh, off season feel more like off seasons in the past, or is there still, you know, sort of that seed of doubt where there maybe is still a contingency plan that you will have in place? I mean, yeah, things are trending in the right direction. Uh, vaccine uh, doses are being administered in good rates, but uh, we still don't know. We still don't have a crystal ball for anything. So I suppose how is the conference and more so you approaching next season? Is it more normal or is there still going to be some safeguards in place for both the student athletes and maybe even the fan base? Yeah, I think most of us in collegiate athletics are planning for what most would call a normal season, You know, whether that be football, basketball, hockey, whatnot. Um, obviously it's the things you referenced in terms of vaccine rates and, uh, virus positivity and number of new cases that are, that are happening each day, continuing to go down. I think we feel that we're in a, uh, fairly optimistic place to, to plan for, uh, what we hope will be a, a, a normal year. Have, having saying all that, we do obviously need to be mindful and aware that, uh, things could change and circumstances can change. I mean, if there's one thing that I think we learned over this past year, when, when we thought maybe we knew what was going to happen, you know, a month from now or two months from now, something different happened. And so I think we have to maintain that flexibility that Noah, you asked about in your question. Um, but as of right now, we in the NCHC and our member schools, specifically with their hockey programs are planning for a normal season. And so we released our schedule conference schedule a few weeks ago, um, and that has a very normal look to it. Uh, no longer are there divisions. Uh, we go back to kind of the, the normal look at the schedule. We're planning for a, a normal postseason, top four hosts the bottom four in the campus sites and moving on to St. Paul and the frozen faceoff um, to, to culminate the season. So we're very hopeful and optimistic that that's what can happen next year. Um, but we certainly are going to be uh, aware and, and adaptable if we need to be, if, if the circumstances present that. That's a really good takeaway, Josh. And I kind of wanted to uh, follow up on that and wonder, uh, is that maybe your key takeaway from this past season? Or as you look back over the past year, is there kind of a big overarching theme or takeaway, if you will, that you, you hope to carry into uh, this upcoming year uh, that you've learned? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that that probably is the, the takeaway, Noah. I, th I think um, thinking that uh, we had, you know, executed ice hockey season, collegiate ice hockey seasons for decades, just kind of doing a similar type of thing, you know, Friday, Saturday series, seven, seven thirty type of starts. That's when games are. This is how the schedule's set up. This is what we typically do in the postseason. And this is an NCAC really. This is just our sport in general. All of that was out the window. And I mean, you think about what we did to start the season in the pod. We went to one location and played games on pretty much every day of the week. Um, and, and play games on, on weekdays that started at three, four o'clock in the afternoon, depending on what time zone you were in. And so I think that showed everybody that we can be flexible. I don't think it was ideal. We did it be out of necessity and, and we did it for health and safety reasons, first and foremost. Um, but there's no doubt that I think the one takeaway we all need to have is that we maybe shouldn't be so rigid in, in how we approach our business moving forward. And just because that was the way we did it for 25 years prior to, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the way that has to be for the next 25 years. And 
if there are new or better ways of doing things, then then those things should be adapt uh, adopted. And so, um, no doubt, we got to remain flexible and and uh, take what the environment gives us. I think it's a perfect segue, Josh, into uh, uh, my next question. That is uh, around this time last year. Um, kind of going, going back to that first conversation we had, um, you, you mentioned the stability of the NCHC, uh, more so financially. And as you sit here a, a year from now, uh, I would imagine things certainly uh, have changed, but I guess for, for health and safety, more so for the league, uh, just more so just because of, we're hearing uh, rumors of uh, Robert Morris, again, possibly being in, in contraction out there just south of Pittsburgh. Uh, how does the NCAC sit financially right now after a year of having to pull some, some different things operationally to, to, just to complete the season? Yeah, I think first off, you referenced Robert Morris, and thanks for doing that. You know, it's a sad time when our game in general loses programs, both on the men's and the women's side. And so we certainly feel for the student athletes, coaches, and staff out there. Um, as it relates to our conference, we're, we're actually in pr pr pretty good financial shape. Um, and, and some people may think that to be a surprising answer, just given what we've had to go through. But uh, to be honest with you, last year was more of a a uh, concerning year financially because we abruptly canceled the tournament uh, at a time right before we were going to start. And the tournament is a significant revenue generator for the conference. Um, and so it found us in a very challenging uh, financial position for, for last year. Luckily we had built up reserves um, to a healthy level. And so uh, we were in a, in a sound financial position to weather that storm, as I think I told you last year, and, and we did weather that storm. And then as we moved into this year, um, there was still a tremendous amount of uncertainty financially. Um, and again, not knowing what was going to come of our tournament and then ultimately making the decision not to host in the normal or excuse me, conducted in the normal manner, um, in particular going to St. Paul and the frozen faceoff, uh, we were unsure. But um, once we made the decision to, to go to Grand Forks um, and allow um, some complement of fans into the venue, no more than 3,000, is what we had each and every game. It gave us an opportunity to generate some revenue, got us an opportunity to activate some sponsors. Um, and so from a financial standpoint, we're actually coming out of this year in a much better position than last year. And, and kind of overall looking forward into the future, uh, we're in a continued good sound financial position. And I would say better than where we were last year. Speaking of finances, Josh, uh, last year during the pod, we really got to see uh, kind of how the NCHC TV could handle the workload being in the pod and getting to partner with some different groups as well as, uh, you know, things that they maybe normally um, hadn't been a part of. Of course, CBS has carried a lot of the NCHC games moving through. And apologies uh, if I'm asking a question that maybe is too premature, but uh, where does the NCHC plan to take the next step, if any, as far as the NCHC TV and maybe getting more of those NCHC games on a network? Yeah, so really good question and timely question because um, we're actually going through a media rights analysis right now. Um, we've got um, existing contracts with great partners, the CBS Sports Network on the linear television side of things, uh, and then uh, a company called Sidearm, which uh, is our technology partner kind of behind the scenes with NCHC TV. And so we're going through an analysis right now of um, what do those relationships look like in, in the future? And we're just actually starting to have those discussions. Um, next year, we'll feel very, look and feel very similar to what people have experienced, um, at least in the past couple of years. Um, but beyond that, you know, there might be some adjustments. Um, but it's a little too early to, to tell, just given where we are, space and time. But um, sp specifically related to NCHC TV, it's obviously been a, a great tool for us in the conference in a lot of different ways. First off, it's a great brand builder. You know, it's a one-stop shop for any and all things video related to conference teams and and, and our programs. Uh, financially, it's been good for the conference and, and more so in particular our individual institutions because we distribute most of that subscriber revenue back to our schools. Um, and, and so there's, there's a lot of strength in NCHC TV and running our own network and having our own brand on our network. We think there's uh, opportunities to make it even better um, folding in maybe some of the other digital assets that we have in the conference, like our website, uh, things like statistics and rosters and kind of overall schedules and news articles and that type of thing, potentially into one overall encompassing digital experience. So that's something that we've talked about. Um, and then we've also talked to the point on, on television 
you know, wh where do we see ourselves as a conference and maybe where does the game overall see itself um, on national television in the future? And again, those are just uh, early and early types of discussions, but um, national television for us is important because it provides great exposure to the conference and our schools across the country. I got to say, Josh, Nick, uh, this isn't a question. I got to say, uh, NCHETV uh, has gotten better every, every, every year that we've seen it. And the website, uh, the archives, I think, is a really nice touch to be able to go back. And you do a really nice job because I can't actually embed your videos and steal them for our own purposes. It's almost like, oh, wow. you, it's almost like you have an IT department that knows what they're doing. So I it's just wanted to throw that out there. It's good <laughs> to know that you're honest and, and uh, that you tried to steal them. And it's also good to know that our technology partner has uh, privacy protection behind those videos. <laughs> uh, Josh, I kind of want to build off of Noah's question a little bit. Uh, does the NCHC see opportunity with some of the uh, the new media partners that the NHL just uh, partnered with, such as Turner Sports or ESPN? Um, I know uh, you know some of the personalities, especially in the ESPN side, uh, one in particular that was behind the microphone for the NCAA uh, Frozen Four, uh, a staunch supporter of college hockey. Do you potentially see an avenue maybe there, um, and, or do you maybe even see competition such as you know thus as you know just to throw out an ESPN Plus or whatnot, or is there a potential partnership avenue there? Yeah, I mean, I think any and all that, uh, Nick, is part of our analysis. Um, you know, our, our conversation starts as it should with our existing partner, CBS, um, in terms of what in, in what they and we want to do uh, from a linear side, kind of moving forward into the future. Um, but all, all of those other opportunities, other networks, other digital platforms are all part of the analysis. So in time, um, not for any significant change this year, um, we'll have some decisions and answers on, on what that may look like longer term into the future. But uh, right now, we've been extremely happy with our existing partner, CBS, and, and certainly our technology partner in Sidearm and building what we've built with NCHC TV. I guess uh, I'll guess I'll follow up on this one. Let's let's switch over to some 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 common grounds outside of Colorado, outside of Minnesota. How about uh, you know speaking of building up something? Uh, I know you and I are both former Cyclones, and uh, some of the uh, construction happened down there with good old Iowa State football there in good old Jack Tri Stadium. Uh, have you been paying attention to that? Uh, you know, have you seen some of those renderings? And it's this uh, university, which I mean, the football program was kind of second fiddle to uh, their basketball program, starting to. Uh, Gets a, a lot of great new uh, construction around that uh, that uh, sports complex down there, down on University Avenue. Yeah, so I've I've, I've seen and, and read a little bit about it. Uh, admittedly, I haven't been paying too close of attention. Um, I, I uh, connect occasionally via email with Jamie Pollard, who's the athletic director at Iowa State. He has done a fantastic job. Um, what I knew of Iowa State when I was there in the athletics department to what Iowa State is now and what they're doing, whether it be facility construction, certainly success that they've had with football, um, continued success with Bill Fennelly and, and the women's basketball program um, and, and the men's program has, has obviously done some good things too. Um, it's come night and day light years ahead of, of when I was there and, and Jamie deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, Admittedly, Nick, I have not been back in many years. In fact, it may have been one to two years post-graduation, which happened right around the turn of the century. Um, so it's, uh, it's been a while since I've been back, and I, I do need to get back and uh, try to catch a, a football game. That'd be fun. So you were there under the Dan McCartney era. Right yeah, so Dan was a Dan was a football coach and the, the men's basketball coach. Bill was still a women's basketball coach, which is amazing longevity for him. Um, but the the men's basketball coach had transitioned um, to um, oh, and I'm blanking on the name, uh, Larry Stacy. And so I was there when when they actually had one of the best men's basketball teams in in school history and they went all the way to the elite eight and lost to Michigan state when Michigan state had Mateen Cleaves. And that was when uh, Marcus Pfizer was on the team and um, Jamal Tinsley was on the team. And, and so they, they, they had a dynamite team that year and it was, they ran into a really good team, obviously in Michigan state who won the championship, but um, that, that was pretty, it was, it was pretty fun to watch men's basketball and women's basketball. 
Josh, when you mention your age, as you mentioned to me moments ago, I appreciate your honesty. Um, I, I I wanted to kind of transition a little bit when you mentioned uh, personnel and uh, people that are involved within teams, even going back historically. Uh, one person that was near and dear to us in the St. Cloud State hockey community was uh, Tom Nelson. Um, did you happen to have a lot of contact with him and uh, obviously seeing him his retirement? Uh, anything you'd like to add about Tom as he uh, enjoys his retirement life currently? Well, first off, I hope, Tom, you enjoy your retirement life. You're, you, you're deserving of having a, a wonderful retirement life. Um, yes, Tom and I connected uh, quite a bit over the past uh, seven, eight years when, when he was obviously continuing to work at, at the institution. Um, you know, a, a leader, a pioneer in, in the sports uh, media industry. Um, and, and he was just a wonderful person to, to be around a wonderful dry sense of humor, as you guys know, way better than <laughs> yeah. I do. Um, but, uh, he, he, he did a lot for the institution overall, um, in his role of kind of shining, especially the, the men's ice hockey program. I know he did a lot for, for other teams in the athletics department, but, um, Tom is a, a legend, um, certainly at St. Cloud state and, and within the sports information industry. And so, um, he deserves the, all the recognition and accolades that he's getting. And, and certainly I know we'll be missed in our conference. Definitely, I definitely agree. Josh, I wanted to ask another question about St. Cloud State, because I guess, I don't know, we're kind of affiliated with them, sort of-ish. Um, and be honest with us here. Uh, when you were looking at, in the preseason schedule, right, and we're getting ready for not only the NCHC conference, uh, but the NCAA in general, uh, if someone would have asked your prediction at the beginning of the season, uh, would you even remotely have believed that St. Cloud State would have been the NCHC team that would that punched their ticket to a national championship game, or was it kind of an overall development? Yeah, no, I think it's an over. It was an overall development. I think, um, and not not surprisingly, but they did surprise. I think a lot of people across the country, and probably many people within our conference. Um, just of the success that, that they had this past year. But you know what, that, that's a full credit to, to Brad and his staff and obviously the leadership on that team and, and how the younger players stepped up and filled roles and really were contributors um, because it was a program that, that just kept getting better as, as the year went on and, you know, took North Dakota all the way to the end in the, our conference uh, title game and, and then obviously made a great run to the national championship game in the NCAA tournament. So Yes, probably surprising to, to many um, in terms of what they thought of St. Cloud State coming into the season. But I got a chance to watch a lot of hockey and a lot of it actually in person because of the pod this year. Um, and uh, I could just sense and see very early that they had a special team and that they could, could do some things as the year wore on. And they were able to do that. I got one more question for you, Josh. And again, thanks for joining the show. Um, last year, again, we also talked about, you know, some of the exhibition schedules and more so trying, you know, would there be some sort of partnership or collaboration? Now, as you actually informed us, and that was something we didn't know, was that the schools themselves had a little bit more control over the exhibition schedules. Uh, looking at St. Cloud State, even as a hockey fan, um, St. Cloud State will be the, the first ever opponent for St. Thomas in Division One. Uh, you have old rivalries such as uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota on the docket. Uh, is this exciting for to see an NCHC school kind of recap some of those old rivalries? And is that something you're looking forward to watch here, even as a commissioner on the, uh, on the other side of the Well, in, in particular to, to your school there, as a native Minnesotan that grew up 45 minutes just south of St. Cloud, um, it's exciting to see some of those rivalries come back. I think the regionalization of rivalries, even though the conferences are somewhat spread out right now, um, is important for college hockey and so whether that's St. Cloud, uh, Duluth, you know, any other team, uh, the, the military conference sense, I think is really important for, for fans and, and, and just engagement of people in and around those areas. Um, and so the non-conference slate, yes, the teams manage all that. We only put together the conference schedule and there it's up to them to put together their non-conference opponents. And so, um, we look forward to, to watching the Huskies and obviously seven other schools and in their non-conference games, they've become, very, very important games as it relates to national um, standings, records, so to speak, in terms of the RPI, and ultimately that feeds into the pairwise um, because you're only, you're only 500 in your conference. Somebody wins, somebody loses, or there's a tie. And so the way in which we've been able to um, have some good fortune in separating ourselves from others is we've been able to win at a 636 winning percentage out of conference over the past 
eight seasons, not including this past one, because we didn't really have um, non-conference games that we were playing. And so that's helped elevate the number of teams that we've had in the NCAA tournament. Um, and I th- just think s- speaks to the, to the strength of the conference. And so um, look forward to a great non-conference schedule uh, of all teams. And then uh, certainly will be a race to the finish in the conference. Josh, I've only got uh, two more for you here. My first one, the NHL playoffs are going on right now. And as Nick mentioned, uh, you're in Colorado's neck of the woods, the Avalanche of a very deadly, deadly hockey team this year. Uh, do you kind of have a horse in the race as far as the NHL playoffs are concerned? And who do you feel like is going to win the cup? You know, it's interesting. Uh, I grew up in Minnesota, but I grew up at a time when uh, the North Stars left and then there wasn't any professional hockey until the Wild came to Minnesota. And when the Wild came to Minnesota, I kind of moved on to college and, you know, wasn't living there full time and really haven't lived there with any longevity since that time. There was a quick 18 month stint that I did live there. And then we've lived in Colorado for uh, the past eight years. And so I suppose just given my role in my job, I'm a bit more of a casual observer um, of all teams across the National Hockey League. We love watching hockey in our house. And so whether it's, you know, Rangers Flyers or Wild Avalanche, um, you know, we'll, we'll find a way to watch uh, some of it. But there, there is a little bit of a probably I a little bit more of an eye on uh, Avalanche games and Wild games in our household. Um, and so We'll certainly be watching the Wild uh, uh, in in the playoff game tonight, and and you know the Avalanche, as you mentioned, are tough. Um, so we'll see whether it's Vegas or Minnesota that that gets the Avs. It's going to be a tough next task for for whomever's there. Well, if you haven't been watching the Wild since you left Minnesota, Josh, I got to tell you, you really haven't missed a whole lot. Um, but my final question for you, moving back to the NCHC, as you move forward into this upcoming year, uh, is there one thing or you know, maybe two things that have you most excited uh, to drop the puck uh, come fall? Well, I think the obvious one is just getting back to a sense of a normal season, as we talked about before. Um, I think that's what has most people excited. Um, you know, we, we kind of got ourselves through what we needed to get through for the sake of playing games and giving competitive experiences to student athletes that deserve it. But I think we all like to kind of get back to a, a sense of a normal season. Um, and then the second thing somewhat related to that is I can't wait to see um, – our venues filled with our passionate fans. And uh, I suppose we still need to wait a little bit to see whether we're actually going to be filled or not, but I know there will be more fans in the stands next year than there was this past year. And so we're excited to, uh, to welcome NCHC fans back to our venues. Josh, I'll tell you this. Uh, I had a good call with uh, Corey Partner, who runs the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center. Uh, and the Huskies Warming House podcast has actually rented out the arena in the middle of the summer for a single day. So maybe we can see if we can get you on the dock and I'll see what we can do. So oh, I'd enjoy that. <laughs> Would be great. Uh, Josh, again, always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, hope you have a great rest of the summer. Again, uh, NCHA Commissioner Josh Fenton, thanks again for joining us, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. You're doing good stuff here. Thank you very thanks, much, Josh. Josh. Awesome discussion here again with Josh Fedden. And you know what? I'll tell you one thing. The one thing I like about Josh, first of all, just an amazingly intelligent guy, very, very easygoing uh, human being. But, you know, going back uh, to when you discussed about, you know, just sort of the, just the planning and the preparation, the flexibility, just having that foresight into, you know, not only, you know, just to try to get this thing pulled off and to do it with such a high success rate as obviously, a, you know, and he mentioned it wasn't just him. It was a big team of people behind him. And, and I loved how he commended, especially like the personal trainers who uh, I had no idea. They were the ones tasked with uh, the COVID testing. And then obviously dealing with each player's, you know, uh, uh, personal, whether it would be injuries or, or different, you know, needs that they may have as athletes. Uh, this overall wonderful conversation again with, uh, with Josh. Yeah, I'm sure he's got to be sick of Zoom meetings by now. I'm sure he's just itching to get back into kind of the normal realm of things. And I think we are too. And it was really fun to fun to listen to him and talk about, uh, you know, the upcoming season. And like, I'm starting to get excited too, where it's, um, you know, I, I should say this, I'm, ex- I'm 
excited to get started, but at the same time, I also kind of feel his energy at like, wow, that was a long season. It's nice to decompress a little bit and kind of recharge and see how the season uh, upcoming is going to start to unfold as well. And I think uh, I speak for both of us at the podcast where a little bit of off season action is nice a little bit too, but nonetheless, it was fun to talk to him and uh, fun to see what he has in store for hopefully uh, a rocking and rolling more normal season coming up in the fall. And based on the Husky schedule there, no, it looks to be a pretty rocking and rolling. It's going to start even in the exhibition schedule. I think it's going to be a, uh, one of the more fun seasons in recent memory here uh, for SCSU fans and the players alike. Uh, but, you know, let's also just for, remind everybody that our part two of our NCHC preview of, uh, for it continues next week. And I believe it's the University of Miami, you know, if I have that correctly. Uh, so stick around for that for this upcoming episode on Sunday. And we'll see you here back in the den. Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perlix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. 